Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. It is Colts Day, day three of our AFC South division preview this week. They are the first division we're tackling this summer. Three teams into it, and this is the one that I think, out of every team in this division, is the most intriguing. Because I think they've they've got a shot here. They've got a legit shot. And we'll break down all the moves that they made basically since February until now that I think puts them in legitimate contention. But before we get into all that, EJ, buddy, my wonderful co-host, how are you doing? What are you drinking tonight? I'm excited. I've been waiting for this one. This this is a team I want to talk about and have wanted to talk about for a while. Uh, we've enjoyed talking about them for a couple of years, and I think they made a move that could put them over the top potentially. So this will be this will be an exciting episode. This there's there's going to be energy for this one. I'm drinking uh, limoncello Lacroix, um, keeping the keeping the whistle wet. What do you have? Oh, as usual, I'm trying to trying actively trying to kill off this bottle of uh, <laughs> Basil Hayden Dark Rye. I'm working on it. Um, basically, yeah. just Manhattan in a glass. It's it's a Manhattan I don't have to make because it's rye mixed with port, which tastes exactly like bitters vermouth and whiskey how about that so if you're a fan of manhattans and you don't feel like making a manhattan just go get a bottle of this pour it over ice you're good to go it's really really good stuff lazy man's Um, manhattan it's perfect exactly exactly but not to uh delay any longer than we absolutely need to because i can already tell this is going to be a meaty show just based on our pre-show and talking about this team i do not want to extend this intro any longer than it needs to be so first things first as with all other teams let's do a little bit of a 2021 recap set the stage for everything that's happened since then the colts did go nine and eight they were uh, one of the teams that barely missed out on the playoffs and when i mean barely i mean barely uh last five games of the year they went three and two and last two games of the year they went oh and two they were sitting pretty on track for 11 and 6. That's all they needed to make the playoffs. They just needed to win those last two games. In fact, if I remember correctly, they only needed to win one. If they beat the Raiders in week 17, they would have been in. They didn't. And so it's like, oh, if they beat the Jags, number one overall pick Jags, they'll be in. Couldn't do that either. Carson Wentz completely fell apart, which was the main reason why they got rid of him one year after spending a first round pick to acquire him. It was a mess. Um, and I think even though they did finish second in the division and they quote unquote should have been a playoff team, the fact that they had a better road record than a home record combined with the fact that they had an epic two game collapse to finish off the year. That was a rough ending to the season and we kind of saw it coming. I think that's the sad part about it. I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Um, the day they traded for Carson Wentz, I think you and I knew that something like that was going to happen because that's what's been happening to Carson Wentz for three straight seasons. They deserved it. We can sugarcoat it all <laughs> we want. We can talk around it, but they made their bid. Like Chris Ballard set this in motion. 
I know that they were hoping, you know, we talk about ceilings and floors. They were hoping to hit a ceiling, which was not Carson Wentz all-time ceiling. I don't think they ever had that in mind, but they had a level of competency in mind, which would have gotten them those last two games. And if you're the Colts faithful, you could say, but, you know, if he just, well, yeah. But I think we thought the more likely outcome was what happened, was he would play average to decently in stretches but when it comes down to crunch time and you need your quarterback to win you a game which is a common occurrence in the modern nfl neither one of us felt really good about carson wentz being that guy even surrounded by a very talented colts team he's still gonna have to make some plays and he made some but he didn't make enough and unfortunately for colts fans he didn't make very many right when he needed to at the end of the year and it caused them to move on, and I would say rightfully so. We wouldn't have made that move in the first place, but better to cut a mistake short than hang on another year and say, no, no, we can fix him. And I think, you know, the, the argument that a lot of, of optimistic Colts fans were making at the time was, hey, yeah, but he, he hasn't thrown that many picks. You look at his touchdown-to-interception ratio. Oh, it, it looks... It looks pretty favorable, but it's like, okay, but look at all the picks he almost threw because there was a lot of dropped picks. There was a lot of, for lack of a better word, what the fuck throws where you're mm -hmm. like, Carson, there's nobody there. What are you even looking at? Like there were, there was a funky play every single week, whether it was a, an almost pick an almost fumble, a sack or two that he really didn't need to take where it's like, just get rid of the ball. Like you're sitting there for four seconds. Um, there was a lot of mistakes that didn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet that if you watch the games, you could see that he was throwing away one or two drives a game. And in the NFL, throwing away one or two drives a game is liable to get you beat, which is exactly what happened towards the end of the year. So I, I, I get the whole touchdown to interception ratio argument, but you also got to look at the picks that he got away with, or rather the lack of picks that he got away with, and that was a rather substantial number if you're just watching him play. The interceptions weren't terrible. He only threw seven. And in the NFL, as many passes as get tossed around on, on every Sunday, that's not a lot. Like, seven interceptions isn't bad. You can live with seven interceptions from your quarterback. But <laughs> he only threw 27 touchdowns. Right, and you might say, "Well, twenty-seven touchdowns—that's that's a bunch." In the modern NFL, it's really not. There were decision issues. There were certainly plays left on the table, guys open that he didn't hit. There were times when he threw to nowhere or to open space, and you you just held your breath, kind of gasped, like, "Oh, there's three defenders there. What was the? Oh man, that's not going to show up on anything." But that is that's a negative play. You basically burned that play. You didn't get anything for it, and it had a high risk factor. Yeah, he just, the stat sheet looked a lot better than the games did. There's a reason why they moved off him after one year. And I think, ultimately, they made the right decision. Now, the people in power that did make both of those decisions, both to acquire him and then to almost immediately jettison him, um, they are still in the building, thankfully, because that one admitted mistake aside... I think this has been a very stable, well-run organization. Chris Ballard, he's year six on the job already. <laughs> Seems like just yesterday we were talking about him as one of the the bright young stars of the league, and now uh, now he's a wily old vet. Um, Frank Reich in his fifth year already with the Colts. Again, I feel extremely old because I remember like it was yesterday. Josh McDaniels was going to be the Colts head coach, and then all of a sudden he wasn't, and now now Josh is with the Raiders. So uh, it's it's been it's like, a long and winding five-year road. It's kind of a thing with the Colts, right? Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, it doesn't work out spectacularly for some reason. So, oh, we're going to plan B, and plan B is better, right? Yeah, somehow. Like Josh McDaniels. <laughs> oh, he's going to sign. He's going to back out. Oh, no. And they, they sort of back into Frank Reich, and everybody, I think, even at the time, was like, this might low-key work out better. And last year, we're going with Carson. Carson's going to be our guy. We're going to trade a first-round pick for him. We believe in him. He burns out after a year, and 
Matt Ryan's available, which they never could have foreseen. That that was started. There was, you know, that was kicked off by a series of events they couldn't have predicted. But here they are again, able to capitalize. And not unlike Frank Reich, I think we both think the Matt Ryan thing is going to work better than the Carson Wentz thing, just like Frank Reich is going to be better off in the long term than McDaniels was going to be as the head coach. But this is what the Colts do. They benefit from sort of going hard at plan A. Plan A either doesn't work out at all or works out for a very short period of time. They move quickly, and plan B turns out to be the better in the long term. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinatingly frustrating how lucky this franchise can be sometimes. Like, ah, mm. Peyton hurt himself. We got to move on. All right, who's on the board? Oh, Andrew Luck. Okay. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. That guy. Uh, yeah, I, I hate him. I hate how I hate how successful this team is because they ruined my childhood, and I'll, le- I'll never forgive them for that. Um, now, coaches under Frank Reich, Marcus Brady. Year five in Indy, he came in alongside Frank Reich as their assistant quarterbacks coach at the time, went up to quarterbacks coach. Now he's in year two as offensive coordinator, Gus Bradley. Year one is DC. Uh, he's become kind of like a mercenary DC at this point, kind of moving from AFC team to AFC team, uh, especially in the AFC South. I think this this is his third AFC South team, if I recall correctly. My, at least second AFC South team in the last five years. Uh, and then you got Bubba Ventrone also came in with Frank Reich. He's in his fifth year um, as the Colts special teams coordinator and also one of the best personalities among special teams coordinators in the league. I know we don't talk about that much, but he's always fired up in the sideline. Love watching him whenever the cameras get him because he's, uh, he's a wild man out there. Um, notable assistant coaches. we got Kevin Mawai as the assistant offensive line coach. They hired Reggie Wayne this offseason to come in and, and join that coaching staff. Uh, Richard Smith, 44 years of NFL coaching experience on that staff. Um, just absolute insane longevity in a, in a profession that usually doesn't favor longevity. Uh, John Fox, I had no idea that he's like a yep. special defensive consultant. Senior defensive position. assistant, yes. Whatever that means probably is more means, helping John, out the game you know plan a lot capacity. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, Come literally help me that. out. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Cato June and uh, Mike Mitchell making his uh, his debut as an NFL coach, assistant DB coach. Uh, he last played under Frank Reich uh, in 2018. That was his last year as a player. Uh, decided to try his hand at coaching. So he's assistant DB coach now at the, uh, the ripe young age of 35. Really interested to see how that works out because he was um, he was always known as like that you know, the veteran leader, the locker room guy, the hard hitter, you know, a, a pro's pro, so to speak. So I think if anybody could connect with these Colts DBs, it would be him. And my God, looking at their depth chart, they're going to need it. Um, we'll get to that soon. Yeah. But overall, kind of looking at this front office and, uh, and coaching staff, where, uh, where are you at with them? I love what Ballard's done. He's had some high-profile misses, but overall, if you look at his consistency and impact in roster building, the Colts roster is really strong, continues to be strong, stacks talent in the draft, attacks the UDFA process, which makes him a favorite of mine. He is unafraid of bringing in, when we get to that list, you know, 40 guys between camp invites and UDFA and saying, no, I'll take a look at all of them. Like, I love that approach. Frank Reich, very stable presence. I'm really excited to see what we get out of him this year with a very talented quarterback at his disposal, along with a very talented offensive line and improved receiving core. Like, this this feels like a year for that. Marcus Brady, really a right-hand man, an extension of Frank Reich and what he wants. So that's uh, the consistency is great there. Be interesting to see which direction Gus Bradley takes the defense as the new guy in town on the staff. Uh, Hard to call Gus Bradley a new guy with 33 years worth of NFL experience, but uh, new to Indianapolis. Again, a very talented group that Ballard's assembled on that side of the ball. Want to see what Bradley could do with them. 
Uh, Kevin Mawai, anytime you can put him anywhere near your offensive lineman, I'm going to take that chance and say, yep, that's just going to be positives for them. Again, tons of experience was always very cerebral when he played, you know, played at a very high level for a long time. Same thing with Reggie Wayne. It's like Reggie Wayne. Hey, you know, I'm sure they've been courting him for a bit. It's like, just come rub off on our receivers. You know, so much about playing the position. You played it at such a high level. Just, just hang out in our receivers room. We don't care. We don't, we don't have to make you coach. They make him a coach. That's going to pay big dividends for a receiver group that I'm excited to talk about. Richard Smith, we always talk about the linebackers in Indianapolis, right? Okoronkwo, you know, all the guys that they put up in all pro, pro bowl spots. And you got a guy 44 years in the league, still an assistant coach, happy doing that. Like there's a reason (laughs) that they take, you know, players that aren't necessarily super highly regarded and they play the lights out every year. So unsung hero unheralded coach whatever you want to call him um and then Cato june mike mitchell the sort of more modern wave of mike mitchell's really fascinating because he has a connection to both john fox and the colts organization as well having played there his last year so you know that's that's how that's how folks get jobs in the nfl is connections um personalities relationships and it'll be really interesting to see this sort of old guard of John Fox and Richard Smith handing that knowledge down to the Cato Junes and the Mike Mitchells and seeing that continuation go forward. You know, it's interesting. I didn't realize it till we started recording this. This is the third team that Gus Bradley has coached Yannick Ngakwe on. <laughs> I had not thought of that either. Yeah. He drafted him in Jacksonville, coached mm-hmm. him last year with the Raiders, and then got to Indy and was like, hmm, what can I do to pry Yannick away from the Raiders? And they traded uh, Rocky Sin for him because Gus just loves Yannick and Gakwe. He knows how to use him. (laughs) There's, I mean, he has a very specific role and we see coaches, usually more head coaches when there's a head coaching transition. I mean, we saw it with Eberflus in Chicago, right? He's going to bring a couple of guys from his Indianapolis defense that can help teach the players. But it's interesting to see, uh, somebody at the sort of coordinator, uh, not coordinator, but position coach role going, uh, okay, and then you come in, you get to be a coordinator, and you get a guy, you get attached to a guy, and he knows your system, and you know how to leverage him, and it's like, well, can we pry him away? Because I know, I know exactly what to do with him, and he can teach everybody else we've got here what I expect. So fascinating connections. Again, same thing I said, relationships and personalities. Uh, I hadn't put that hadn't put that one together and i'm glad you did well I have, a, I have a copy of gus's playbook from jacksonville and uh going through it it's remarkable how many of their pressures are literally designed to get the weak side edge player free in terms of like two-man games three-man games uh you know four-man like simulated pressures like the whole playbook is designed to get the weak side edge one-on-one or just outright free so yeah of course Yannick loves playing for him because he's going to get a million sacks every time he plays for Gus that surprises me only this much because (laughs) look at what he did with Seattle yeah right it was with Averill Averill, right and how many times was it a three-man game in some form or another with Bennett sort of playing two to get Averill free one-on-one with speed. Like it doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, then he was like, and Gakwe comes into the league and he's like, I know what I'm going to do with you. You're going to be my Cliff Averill. And he kind of plays a lot like Cliff too. Not, like they're not they're pretty very similar. different players in a lot of ways and both very good players. Yeah. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Uh, Now, speaking of uh, roster moves that they've made in order to try to remake this defense and, to a degree, the offense, in Gus Bradley's image, um, let's talk about their free agency losses. This can be, you know, UFAs, SFAs, ERFAs, trades, pretty much any any piece 
that this roster has lost. And there's a lot of them. We're not going to highlight all of them because, quite frankly, the show would go on forever. We're going to highlight just kind of the main ones. Um, Andrew Sandejo, who one of the hardest-hitting safeties in the league. The problem is you don't know if he's going to hit his own team or the other team. Um, gotten into trouble quite frequently throughout his career for injuring his teammates. Uh, Eric Fisher, he played about 80% of the snaps for them last year. Uh, a, came back a lot quicker than I thought he would from that Achilles tear. B, played better than I thought he would coming off that Achilles tear. But ultimately, uh, they decided to move on from him. T.Y. Hilton, still out there uh, as a free agent. That one I'm a little bit surprised by. I thought somebody would have kicked the tires on him by now. Maybe he and his agent are waiting for an injury to happen in camp. Obviously, they've seen what happened to the wide receiver market, so his price has gone up since February. Um, I don't think retirement is an option here. I haven't heard anything about T.Y. wanting to retire. I do think it's just they're waiting to see what happens in camp. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, same kind of thing. Waiting to see where an opening opens up. He's he's 32, so he's on the older side for a corner, but I, I do think there's still a little bit of gas left there. Um, they left Al, uh, lost Al-Kadeen Muhammad, who was one of their top three or four pressure getters last year. They lost him to the Bears. He played like 75% of their snaps. Zach Paschal, one of the more underrated number threes, I would say, in the league. He went to the Eagles, which now have a positively loaded receiving core over in Philly. Pascal's still going to be the number three, but now he's playing with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, which, good Lord, that's a receiving core. Uh, Mark Lewinsky, they lost him to the Giants. Again, another interior offensive lineman that was 75-plus percent snaps for them, so long-term starter. And then they traded, as I mentioned, Rocky Sin for Yannick Ngakwe, which, hell of a deal. <laughs> if you're getting Yannick for Rocky Sin, hell yeah. So overall, those are the main names they've lost. I guess we can throw Carson Wentz in there too, but that's more addition by subtraction in my opinion. That was very purposeful, that last one. Uh, Ty Hilton might, or T.Y. Hilton might surprise some people. It's been a, a kind of, not the face, but a prominent face in the Colts receiving core for a long time. And, and his moving on does feel like a shift to kind of almost the third wave of the sort of modern Colts receiving core he went from Marvin and Reggie. And then T.Y. was with the next, you know, group. He was the young guy right at the tail end of that. And he carried it through. And now they have another young group. We'll talk about them. And I don't know that he'll be back. Looking at their depth chart, they have a lot of people sort of lined up to take his snaps, take his role. His role has been declining for several years. Uh, his production's been declining. He is still productive. I'm not saying that he can't play, but I don't think this is one of those. There might be Colts fans out there saying, "Oh, they're gonna they're gonna snap him back up." I'm I'm not so sure. Looking at their depth chart, um, Xavier Rhodes is really interesting. We'll talk about that when we get to the corner depth. It leaves them with a less than admirable depth at corner, uh, and Rhodes played well for them. I, I kind of want to bring that up now because I I think you're on to something that that's that's an issue like that's a that's a big issue with what they have left with Rhodes not there anymore obviously they signed Stephon Gilmore um who's like you know their big free agent signing but I, they, the only guy they got left is like Isaiah Rogers Rodney Thomas Brandon Faison yeah this ah. is one of the things yeah this is one of the things that I love about doing these episodes and the the research that we do to put these together and the approach that we take of, of really looking at every move, it gets me to things like this that I typically would overlook if I wasn't doing that level of rigor in the offseason. And when I'm putting the, putting the agenda together, I'm looking at depth charts and I'm like, oh, yeah, Gilmore. Yep. Remind myself they got him. OK. And who? OK. Facing. We'll talk about him coming over from the Raiders. And I thought, okay, that's that's good. We love their nickel. We talked about their nickel on underrated players. He was our, our sort of combo defensive player. And who's going to play outside? And you start looking through their depth chart, and you're like, uh, you know, these are preseason 
not even preseason. These are, you know, training camp depth charts. So by no means finished, but you're looking at guys like Isaiah Rogers, who is a six-round pick out of Massachusetts. Guy they picked up this year, Rodney Thomas, is second on their depth chart. He's a seventh-round pick out of Yale. Um, there's just not a lot there. They don't have that young developmental corner and waiting that you know getting Xavier Rhodes out of the building opened up the spot for and now we're going to see if this guy can play they might have a lot of faith in a few of those young players they do not have somebody to sort of bookend with Gilmore and say right now this guy's locked down the outside corner roll and we're ready to go in a pass heavy division with that guy and it is an existing hole could ballard pick somebody up from cuts i think he could and may have to um you know could they bring back Rhodes? yep i think it's much more likely that Rhodes comes back than somebody like ty hilton because right now what's there outside of gilmore at outside corner is not inspiring i just i think it's when you're doing a lot of these zone coverages that Gus Bradley likes to do, he's he's known as like, yo, he's a cover three coach. He's a, you know, Pete Carroll. He does everything. Like he runs quarters, he runs cover two, he runs every coverage you can think of. Um, but what I worry about is the more man coverage intensive looks, whether it's cover one or match quarters, which is, it all becomes man coverage eventually in in match quarters. I worry about their ability to run that because, okay, Gilmore, sure, he can stick to his guy. Kenny Moore, um, for the most part, is going to hold up at the nickel spot. There's some guys that give him trouble, like, say, Hunter Renfro, but Hunter Renfro gives everybody trouble. You know, there's going to be slot receivers that beat him, but for the most part, he's going to be fine. Um, the other guys outside, like, if... If if we're just matchup hunting against man coverage looks, the other guys outside are who I'm hunting all day long. Because I'm sorry, it, it, you just need one guy you can pick on. And they've got at least two that you can pick on. So I, I genuinely worry about it. The defensive front is great. Um, the safety do, or safety core was great until about 24 hours ago because uh, yeah. they just recently had a retirement, uh, Kari Willis. Uh, announced his retirement literally today, the day we're recording this. Yep. So now it's Julian Blackman and Rodney McLeod, I guess. But that other corner yep. spot, I'm right there with you. It's it's looking thin. When they go up against veteran corners, uh, or sorry, veteran quarterbacks that understand how to leverage and look off, they're gonna they're gonna be seeing throws, you know, short of an another move, short of bringing Xavier Rhodes back, short of bringing somebody that gets cut um, early, uh, or you know maybe a late trade. Ballard is you know not opposed to that. It's not really his mo, but mm, he might be forced into it. Short of a big move, whoever occupies that spot right now is gonna be getting the throw yeah. when they <laughs> when they face a quarterback that can is capable of you know full field reads and manipulation they're going to look safety off the other direction so they get a favorable matchup and they're going to throw that way until whoever is in that spot proves that they can hold up then they'll start spreading it around a little more but man in the nfl if you can make it work you just keep making it work until they can stop you and the colts are going to have to prove from that other corner spot that they can stop people i'm not sure they have that guy on the roster right now they might but it's in no way certain. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Now, in terms of uh, their own players that they retained, uh, rather short list here, uh, pretty much the only one I really want to touch on is Mo Cox. Um, you know, he's one of the tougher covers at the tight end position, in my opinion, because he is so damn big that you kind of need like a specialized body to handle him. 
you know, six 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 seven frame, super long arms, really, really deadly in the red zone. Um, they basically drafted an exact replica of him that happens to be a little bit faster, but you know, it's better than having one six, seven tight end, uh, having two of them. So I thought that was a great deal for them. Plus he costs less than 6 million a year. Hell yeah. For, for somebody that tough to cover. All right. I'm going to introduce some game theory here. Familiar with game theory, right? Yeah. Mildly, not a math guy, but mildly familiar. You figure out the rules and you exploit them. Right, you look for weaknesses where you're pushing against not other people's strengths, but you're you're grabbing assets that they don't favor as highly. And this signing, this one, Mo Ali Cox re-signing, made me take a look, and I thought, huh. So I ended up looking at some other offensive stats for the Colts, and I thought, you know what? The Colts are one of the few teams that would make Mo Ali Cox their one. He is their TE1 unquestioned. Uh, the deal says that. The offensive usage says that. Again, if you watch if you watch the Colts play, he is their one, and they are happy about that. They are not trying to get a Jason Kelsey type. Like they would take one if you dropped in their lap, but that's not what they're hunting with, which a lot of the rest of the league is hunting for, right? We want a very dynamic receiving tight end that we can use all over the field. And the Colts are saying, no, we like Mo Alley Cox, and he's not that player, right? He's a huge post-up threat. He's really tough down the seam, amazing in the red zone. But he is not that full dynamic tight end. And so I started looking, and I thought, okay, let's take a look at the receiving stats based on that, which is different. So second leading receiver for the Colts last year. I I think we both know who one was, one of our favorites, Michael Pittman Mm -hmm. Jr. Who's the second leading receiver for the Colts? Who do you think is the second leading receiver for the Colts last year? Probably Pascal. You would think that. (laughs) I would think that too. I did think that before I looked. It's not. It's Jonathan Taylor. So Pascal has to be third. Yeah. So Pascal has to be third, right? I mean, because it's Zach Pascal. We both really like Zach Pascal. I think he's yeah. terribly underrated too, and will be a great addition in Philly. Was surprised that he signed for as little as he did. Actually, was hoping the Bears would make a run at him because he was going to be low priced and I think um, maybe a little bit underappreciated and effective. So he's got to be third, right? No. Nope. Naheem Hines was third. What? So it was basically we're throwing a Michael Pittman and running backs, and that's it? Throwing a Michael Pittman 88 times, Jonathan Taylor 40, Naheem Hines 40, and Zach Paschal 38. And the next one, fifth, is Jack Doyle. Now. Okay, I have. You and I. I have I so many vivid memories of Mo Alley Cox catching footballs. Uh-huh. How many did he catch? 24. Shut the fuck up. 24 catches, 316 yards, four touchdowns. So pretty efficient in terms of, you know, who that reminds me of, a certain tight end that came out of Ohio State who we all saw catching a lot of touchdowns and went, oh, man, he caught a lot of balls. And you look and he caught 33 balls Rucker. in two years. Yeah, Rucker. Yeah. But in terms back to the offensive difference in game theory and saying we're going to do this a little bit differently than the rest of the league rest of the league we're like you need three wide receivers right you got to be three wide receivers deep in the modern passing nfl you got to have a a prime receiving tight end the colts go no we're going to pay mo alley cox different body type different different type of guy and when you start looking at their offensive distribution we were talking about a team very recently in one of our last two pods that was really kind of a one-receiver system. The Ravens? Where it's just, it's, uh, well, now it's going to be Rashad Bateman, three tight now ends, three running backs. Be, and, right. It's going to be Rashad huh. Bateman. It was Hollywood Brown. And I'm like, huh, the Colts are the Ravens on offense. They have Pittman, clearly their number one. They have two tight ends in their top five. Mo Alley, or well, Jack Doyle and Mo Alley Cox is sixth. They have two running backs, very Ravens-like in terms of throwing. And their, you know, third wide receiver is is 
fourth in catches, right? Not very, not even all that many targets for Pascal, only 38 receptions. And I started to think, huh, if you told me that the Colts offense was the Ravens offense, I would have gone, nah, 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 nah. It's not. And it very well may change with a prominent addition we're about to talk about at quarterback. But in terms of last year, the Colts are the Ravens. They have one receiver they throw to a lot. They throw to their tight ends and backs after that. And the next wide receiver is is down the list. He's you know 30-something catches. That is fascinating. Again, because the, the passing games are structured so differently. Totally differently. But you look at who they pay. You look at who they pay, what their personnel is. You know, they've always had a very strong running back room, just like the Ravens, three and four deep, one of the deepest running back rooms in the league for the past three or four years and the fact that they take this i would say non-traditional tight end type not only do they you know up him and make him the one they double down like you said in the draft they go get another one of him they don't try and balance him with a you know they don't go get chig right and get the speedy receiving Mm -hmm. tight end they go get jelani woods who is another you know it's a faster version of molly cox so it's not like they don't like what they have and they're just going, well, I guess we just have to deal with the parts. Like this vision, Ballard's been there long enough, is in place. It's in lockstep with a coach who's also been there long enough. And they're like, Mm-mm. we're going to do it with one big primary wide receiver, a bunch of tight ends we like, a bunch of backs we like, and we're going to be somewhat Ravens-like in our, you know, in the end result. Like you said, the passing games are structured very, very differently. But in the end, in terms of personnel and results, the Colts look a lot more like the Ravens than you might think. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Well, let's talk about the the structure of that passing game. Uh, when we look at their free agency additions, um, again, very large chart here. Uh, Philip Lindsay, um, you know, he's he's also a competent receiving running back because they have a whole bunch of those. Comes over from Miami, so he's going to be their third running back, I would imagine. Um, we talked about Stephon Gilmore. We talked about Face, and we talked about Yannick. We talked about McLeod. I want to talk about Matt Ryan and the structure of this passing game because he is accurate enough and he is a quick enough decision maker where he can take advantage of having two, six, seven tight ends and basically just read the leverage and throw it up. Um, where, you know, if he gets a one-on-one look, you know, as long as those tight ends aren't bracketed, he's going to have a spot to throw because he can just work against their leverage. Or if, you know, Michael Pittman's one-on-one, he can work against Pittman's leverage because he's a big target or Alec Pierce like it is it's got to be like the tallest collection of receivers in the entire league because you have two wide receivers that are six two six three and up two tight ends that are over six six Jonathan Taylor is not yeah. like the tallest running back but he's big so he's hard uh, to bring down you're selling him short and and pun intended you're selling him short we need to talk about the wide receiver room these guys are towers it's unreal so they have again a bunch of guys that are looking to replace the ty hilton role and how can you tell because those guys are all like 510 or less <laughs> the other guys mike strawn 6'5 yeah. Pittman jr 6'4 alec pierce who they drafted 6'3 samson nakua 6'3 des patman from washington state 6'4 so they got six five, six four, six four, six three, six three. I mean, they have a type. <laughs> yeah, and then they two have tight type. ends who are both over six five. So, you know, old Matt Ryan's gonna see his hands, right? He's just gonna be, <laughs> oh, he's gonna oh, look at that. I'll throw to that set of hands. And like you said, he's easily accurate enough to do it. 
I think the addition of Matt Ryan at the end of this season, the end of the 2022 season, we're going to be talking about the addition of Matt Ryan to the Colts exactly like we talked about. Matt Stafford is an addition to the Rams. Mm, yeah. Same type of Every, thing. Everybody was like, oh, he's really good, but his teams haven't been that great. And it was like, he's not that good. He played for the Lions. And everybody was like, no, if you if you watch, Matt Stafford's been, he, he you know, it's not all garbage yards. He can really throw. He can decide. He can move. He can obviously take hits. He goes to a place where they understand how to utilize him a little better, and he wins a Super Bowl. Not saying Matt Ryan's going to win the Super Bowl. I'm also not saying he's not. And I just think that the approach that they've taken of, of it's almost like a, God, what's that old Saban quote? Uh, boxing has weight classes for a reason. You know, I, I think that they're taking that approach with the receiving core because a, you can't double everybody and B, even if somebody's covered, Matt Ryan is accurate enough where it's like, he's covered, but not really because I can make a perfect throw and a perfect throw to a six, three receiver against a five ten corner you're screwed no matter what. So it's one of those, like, you're, you really can't win. And as long as Matt Ryan's on, which he's on most of the time, and as long as he's staying upright, you're, you don't have a big enough secondary. Nobody other than maybe Miami has a big enough secondary to contend with this. It's ironically a very similar approach to what uh, Atlanta's doing. You know, where they got Drake London and they got Kyle Pitts and, you know, uh, Coro Patterson's actually a pretty big guy in his own right. Like, they got all this size. The Colts are doing the exact same thing, except they have a trigger man that can make it happen. They have an offensive line that can protect him better than the one he had in Atlanta. They have a better run game. They have a better defense. Like, I think you're right in the sense that the last two years in a row, there's been a very talented... Um, very smart, very methodical, very disgruntled veteran quarterback <laughs> that has gone to a roster that was ready but didn't have the quarterback situation settled. That was Tampa. That was L.A. They won Super Bowls in back-to-back -back years. I think you're correct in that putting Matt Ryan with Pittman and Pierce and Jelani and Mo Cox and all these running backs, they're three deep at running back, I think this is a Super Bowl caliber team. And I don't feel any sort of uh, hesitation about saying that. Like, if I had to bet on any of these quote-unquote mid-tier AFC teams to go on a run and do it, it's them. I think they're ready. If Ryan stays upright, they'll be there. Like, they can do it. He is a very good quarterback. He has more than enough talent and targets around him. If Bradley can make this defense gel, and I think he can. I think they can be good enough, and this is the modern NFL offensive model. Have a quarterback that you can count on in crunch time. Have enough targets for him to distribute the ball that not everybody can stop everybody every week. You know, fine. You start locking down and doubling Pittman because he's, you know, leading the division and receiving in week six fine Jonathan Taylor gets 25 carries that week right he's been getting 10 or 12 and then you know five or six catches and that's been his regular diet oh sorry this week you're going to see 25 carries of Jonathan Taylor you're probably not going to hold up to that either with this offensive line so you know Reich is smart enough to pull those levers Ryan is at this point a coach on the field that still has an arm he is not in that December decline stage of his career where his arm falls off at the end of the season. He's accurate. He's accurate under pressure, even getting hit. He's probably going to have more time, which is only going to increase that. They look, it is, it's the key piece. It's Ballard, again, maybe getting lucky. You can say what you want about that. Adding the one piece they were waiting for, and it's going to look a lot like Matt Stafford going to the Rams. Let's talk a little bit about their future. Semi about their present, but mostly about their future. Uh, with a very, very good draft class. Um, obviously, they lost their first round pick in the uh, the black oblivion that is the Carson Wentz deal with Philly. Um, but hey, we live and we learn. They only gave up a third for Matt Ryan, so I I guess it's okay. Like they they still got a starting how quarterback. Is, back. How is that 
a real thing in our universe. What, that Carson Wentz went for a conditional second that turned into a first, and then they cashed out and got two picks, and then immediately got Matt Ryan for even less picks than Washington got Carson Wentz for a year after he collapsed again? How is it just straight up that Matt Ryan is a third and Carson Wentz eventually turned into a man, one? Man, it's, it's, it's Dan Snyder, man. Who fucking knows? Like, I, 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 He must be behind it because there's no <laughs> other explanation for that in a, in a stand, standard reality where people actually actually watch football <laughs> i it's one of those where it's like oh god chris i can't believe you made that move and oh god chris i can't believe you got yeah. away with that move like this, this is the this is the the pass the quarterback floats up in a double coverage and you're like no 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 and then they catch it break two tackles and go for a touchdown you're like yes 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 <laughs> that's it just took a year for that play to play out Oh God! Well, the rest of their draft was was pretty damn good. Alec Pierce, as we mentioned, they took in round two uh, with the pick they got from Minnesota. I've dubbed him Diet DK because I think they play very similarly on the field. DK's a little bit more explosive in the first few steps, but when they get up to speed, it's same size, same top end speed, same ball skills, same route tree at Cincinnati. Like did a lot of the same stuff. Um, Diet DK. That's that's truly what I think they got there, and I think he could potentially be a very good value for them. Uh, Jelani Woods, who we've been talking about endlessly since basically January when we yep. saw him live at the Shrine Bowl. Um, Bernhard Ryman, they got in the third round, two rounds after I thought he would go. Yeah. Um, he's probably going to slot in there at left tackle day one, play next to Quentin Nelson, and just be the meanest, nastiest left side of the offensive line that that we've ever seen <laughs> they're they're gonna cave in some dudes um nick cross you're one of your favorites third rounder really rangy safety out of maryland because every three years maryland decides to put out a safety that runs four three and we all rejoice um eric johnson another one of your favorites this was the ej draft for sure yeah no uh, ballard and i do think alike in terms of player evaluation this is not um this is not an abnormality over the last four or five years. He usually pulls a draft class that has at least four four dudes in it that I'm like, mm, and then also grab some UDFAs that I was like, yep, yep, yep. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's uh, undersized, three technique, probably going to be a rotational interior pass rusher whenever Buckner needs to come off the field for a series or two. Um, Andrew Ogletree, the tight end out of Youngstown State, because they're just stacking as many tight ends as they possibly can. Curtis Brooks, the DT out of Cincinnati. Um, I'll be honest, I did not do Curtis Brooks. I did a lot of Bearcats, did not get around mm -hmm. to doing Curtis Brooks. Uh, Rodney Thomas from Yale, I also did not get to, because even though we say, have of course two terabytes Thomas. of film. No, yeah. I, that's the thing. is like We have two terabytes of film, and none of it was Ivy League. <laughs> there there is some ivy league on there i watched some of the ivy league but like again ivy league on there really yep what's yeah, the whole folder you missed that huh well it's not like i had time to get to them anyway but still i know but still <laughs> seventh round corners out of yale we no we didn't get to them um but strangely enough right now if you're talking about a provisional depth chart rodney thomas a seventh rounder from yale is second on that outside corner depth chart so let that sink in Eesh. but the top of this draft is just nails. Like Alec Pierce is what he is and probably can get better. Tremendous athlete, great size, great leaping ability. Um, yeah, you can say limited route tree, but very good speed. Yes, most of it's vertical, but that works. We've seen we've seen T. Higgins run it, you know, he's a faster version of T. Higgins, right? coming out and T Higgins worked out just fine when he got mm -hmm. landed in a spot with a good quarterback. Well, guess what? Alec Pierce is going to benefit from landing in a spot with a very good quarterback. Jelani Woods, we've talked about a ton. Bernard Ryman lasted longer. I'm not sure why both you and I were very high on him. Athletic upside, tremendous improvement throughout the season, still young in the position, has potential to be a long-term, very talented left tackle in the league for a long time nick cross not only is he fast built like a brick shithouse and hits like one too <laughs> yeah. like he is a hammer he will not let up he is a guy that is going to fit right in in a gus bradley defense right he's going to be the hitter and plenty of range to boot eric johnson kind of kind of undersized but kind of not 
<laughs> like he's a big dude. Very, very quick. Penetrator, three tech, all day long. You want him there to to generate those pressures to again stir the drink and let the other people clean it up. Um, I think he's going to be effective doing that in spots as a rookie. Um, the rest is just depth, but I'll, I'll just put the sort of trust Ballard stamp on that, that those guys are going to hang around, eventually eat downs for the Colts because that's what Chris Ballard does. Um, so I would say a very successful draft. If you're just grading off the top, like straight five picks, straight fire, like all players are really liked. Um, good fits within the system, good value. He didn't reach for any of them. So didn't have a first round pick, still came away with five players that are, you know, have solid path to playing time contribution right away. That's a very successful draft and not uh, an anomaly for a guy like Chris Ballard. These seven names will all be rotating in pass rush situations for the Indianapolis Colts. DeForest <laughs> Buckner, Grover Stewart, Quiddy Pay, Yannick Ngakwe, Dio Digbo, Eric Johnson, Taekwon Lewis. Good Lord. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, that's... That <laughs> Don't go down not... by two touchdowns against Indy. Your quarterback will die. Yeah, they're going to pin their ears back and absolutely come. And they have lots of ways to do it. And Gus Bradley is very good, as we talked about it, scheming one guy free. And there are at least four guys on that list that if you scheme them to come free, your quarterback is going to have words for you when he comes over to the sideline, if he can still walk. So <laughs> that, yeah, it's... This is a team that's, again, they, I don't want to call them one piece away. They were definitely a quarterback away. And yeah, they, they have a couple other places to fill in, but this roster is on par with the Clevelands of the world, uh, you know, that we've talked about as having like before last year's draft, we said the Browns had like one hole and it was inside linebacker and they went and got two. Ballard's continual work to keep this roster refreshed, to turn it over. Um, to grab talent in every way that he can, trade, draft, free agency, has has kept it to the point where they can just continue to kind of reload with their system, guys they like, and you know, you're know you going to get a defensive front that looks like that in waves. And, oh, yeah, by the way, their linebacking core is really freaking good too. So their front seven just loaded up. Um, secondary... Again, the addition of Nick Cross helps a lot, especially after today's news uh, with the retirement. But you know, they just keep stacking them. Ballard is a build inside out guy. He is a old school build the offensive line, build the defensive line. We see that in his roster, his current existing roster, and we also see that in his choices. Speaking of uh, that linebacker group, I. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I want you to make aware make you aware of it when I read through these UDFAs, um, which they they got a shit ton of UDFAs. This um, <laughs> it's notable because it's this freaking long, and if I if I get to Jay on time, list. I'm gonna have him do it like really fast, and then say, okay, play it back slower because there's like 45 names on this list, and there's a lot of good. I mean, Max Borgie from Washington State, who he didn't even like, stick. Is he gone already? I looked him up. He didn't even stick, which is not surprising. Uh, nothing against Max Borgie. I really like Max Borgie, actually. I think he's a good player. He didn't even stick because they brought in four UDFAs on top of, again, what I said earlier in the show was one of the most stacked receiving, or sorry, running back rooms in the NFL over the last three or four years. They've been legitimately three to four deep in the running back room, and they brought in four UDFAs. I love that. Some people are like, oh, we don't need to. We've already got four. Chris Ballard's like, nope, I'm going to bring in four more. And if one of them's better than you, I'm going to keep them. And he kept two from the UDFA group, but Borgie didn't even stick. And Borgie's a talented guy. That's what happens when you build a really good deep roster. You bring in talented people and, and they don't stay. Well, so I'm looking at it right now. At least Devonta Price is still there. CJ Verdell's still there. Both of those guys stuck. But their top five six running backs is jonathan taylor naheem hines philip Lindsay, tyson williams who was really good for baltimore devonta price teacher verdell like that's I, take your okay pick. like <laughs> houston's gonna his... get one of these guys like remember when i mentioned that houston's gonna pick up an extra running back from camp season yeah go 
plunder from the Colts because they got a million of them. There's about three or four teams. The Colts have been one of them consistently for the last three years. Ravens have been another where it's like whoever they're casting off, if you need one of those, go get them because they have this depth. A bunch of these guys are going to end up on the practice squad, and I don't care if they take injuries, right? They're legitimately five or six deep at running back, and they cut two guys that we both liked. Jamaine Martin from North Carolina A&T was the guy that followed Tariq Cohen and was a really talented guy. He was a camp invite, and Max Borgie was a UDFA from Washington State. Had some health concerns, but was, if we're talking about diet versions, he's the diet CMC. Um, And, you know, he didn't even stay because they have legit six guys in front of him, right? They probably cut him as a courtesy, like, hey, man, you're never going to get any touches here. Go, Go somewhere where they have less than six guys, which is almost everywhere. Well, at least uh, some of those linebackers who I originally wanted to talk about have also stuck. Uh, James Skalski from Clemson, um, Jojo Doman, who was like a hybrid nickel linebacker mm-hmm. out of Nebraska. You want to call him an apex player, however you want to put it. He was always playing in space. He was pretty much never in the box, always playing in space. They're they're slotting him in at linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll ha- he'll have to learn a lot of linebackery type things for lack of a better <laughs> word because he's not used to reading the field from in between the tackles so that might be a little bit of an adjustment process for him it's also going to be an adjustment process for sterling weatherford from miami of ohio who we compared him a lot to uh that safety coming out of notre dame this year kyle um, hamilton kyle hamilton they have almost identical physical profiles they've got weatherford at linebacker at will linebacker specifically, which I mean, he's two twenty five, so that makes a yep. lot of sense. But he's fast, he's fluid, he's long, he's tall, he's like six four. Mm-hmm. Um, we, or at least I, think that that might actually be a better move for his career, kind of keeping him more towards the ball, towards the line of scrimmage, not exposing him as much in in man covered situations deep down the field. And instead, basically using him, much like some of the corners we talked about in other episodes, as, hey, there's the tight end in the slot. That's your guy on third and seven. Go get him. You're the only one big enough to handle him. So I I really love that move for Sterling Weatherford. I think he's got a legit shot to stick at linebacker here. It was a predicted move by many analysts that, hey, he's not going to be a safety. He is... Uh, linebackery to use your term already in his in his sort of talents and this play style loves to hit loves to come forward he just has to learn how to do that um, closer to the ball now typically in his alignment not that he never lined up in the box for Miami of Ohio he did but when you're doing it consistently it is different the angles are different everything happens a little bit quicker you're not coming from depth as a safety but he's got great size you know over 220 6'4 hits really hard Many people predicted that he would move to linebacker when he made it to the NFL. But, you know, is it a bad thing to have a linebacker who's that size, who occasionally you can just flex out on a, you know, not quite as athletic tight end. And he's got experience covering from because he played safety in college. No, that's a huge benefit. So Weatherford's in a great spot. Um, Weatherford and Doman, I see sort of playing the same they're not the same player but playing in the same space in the same role for the Colts defense uh and then they got Dallas Flowers at cornerback Pittsburgh State guy that we got to see at Shrine Bowl um tons of special teams versatility but uh it's almost a disservice to him to start with special teams because he's more than that he played very well at corner for them another bigger guy can hit has good size is going to be a special teamer to start for this team but we just talked about hmm, there's a hole at corner could he move up <laughs> that depth chart and make the roster because of that having seen him play in person like he could for sure there were some good receivers at shrine too that he was keeping up with there's mm-hmm. a lot of dudes at that that all-star game that are going to make rosters and he had a very good week so i'm I'm right there with you. I think if <laughs> this is one of the few teams that I think he has a legit shot to not just make the roster, but get playing time as yeah. UDFA. Yeah, I just I love the approach. I love Ballard's willingness to roll the dice and trust the scouts and say, bring them in, right? It's free. Bring them in. There's so many teams that are like, ah, it's too much effort. We don't want to sort through them. Whatever it is, they'll bring in, you know, we'll we'll be talking about guys our teams all summer that brought in 
five guys, six guys in the UDFA process total. Colts brought in like almost 40. I'm not kidding. And no, they're not going to keep them all, but they're going to have, you know, they're going to have them in the building. They're going to see them with pads on, moving against their guys. Teams record all that stuff when they suffer injuries or they're thinking about a trade. And they're like, this guy's on the street. We liked him. We almost signed him. What's he doing? Oh, he's playing in the CFL. Oh, he's just working out at home. Give him a call. Get him on the practice squad. We'll bring our practice squatter up. We'll fill in the slot with that guy. It's what good teams do when they're building rosters. Ballard is unafraid of that process and believes in the competition. And obviously so does Frank Wright because a lot of these guys end up getting playing time for the Colts. Now, last segment that we got here. Again, team floor and team ceiling. This is our projected, or rather our opinion on their wins as a ceiling and wins as a floor. You and I are actually lockstep on this one. We both see a 12-win ceiling and an 8-win floor. A fairly sizable range here. The 8-win floor, I think you and I can agree, is like something catastrophic yeah, happened. Worst like Jonathan case. Taylor's out for the year. Yeah. Matt Ryan's hurt. Uh, the offensive line is taking tons of injuries. DeForest Buckner spontaneously combusts. Like, that's what it would take to get eight wins out of this team because they're a supremely talented roster. Not like every hole is filled, but overall a supremely talented roster. But I do think that the more likely scenario is they're more around 11 to 12. Um, and the only reason they're not higher than 12 is because the AFC is ridiculous mm -hmm. and 12 might actually be enough to get the first seed in the AFC because they're all going to cannibalize each other, but they will be in the running for the first seed. And it's, it's just going to depend on how games break the last three weeks, but they're going to have a shot just like they had a shot last year. They just didn't have the yeah. right quarterback, <laughs> but I think, I think they could do it. I absolutely agree. This is a team that even with the sort of ghost of Carson Wentz guiding them, you know, came up with 52 touchdowns, the defense, which retains a lot of its talent. Yes. Issues at corner aside, surrendered 43 touchdowns. Gus Bradley's done a good job. I'm not going to say a great job, but good job stabilizing pro defenses again if they can keep that number on the defensive side about the same i i struggled to see the offensive number not going up way up right like so if you've got you know low 40s of touchdowns you're giving up and you scored 53 with carson wentz and you upgrade to matt ryan you still got the same running back he's got more weapons at receiver more weapons at tight end how does that number not improve it probably does that differential is going to lead to a you know positive greater than 500 number of wins they got nine last year it's hard not to see a three-game improvement with matt ryan helming this offense because it really feels like the missing piece the key to unlock the roster that ballard and reich have created here the image of the team that they've built 12 wins seems, you know, I could, could I see more? I, I absolutely could, but the AFC is going to be really rough. Eight wins is not just one of those things you mentioned happened, like four of those things you mentioned happened. You know, if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt, we just talked about, it. they have five other running backs. Are they as good as Jonathan Taylor? No, they're not. Would they carry the load for what is probably going to be morphing to a more pass heavy offense? For sure. So 12 wins gets them into the playoffs and that's what they need i think they can make noise once they get there as well eight wins is not only did the wheels fall off the wagon but it's on fire just keep in mind one last stat before we go uh, touchdown scored is heavily dependent on red zone efficiency they were the 19th ranked red zone offense in the league last year in terms of scoring touchdown percentage of red zone appearances with touchdown scored i should say um it was only at 56 percent, a little over 56 percent. keep in mind the jets were like one percent below them i mean they were barely above pittsburgh they were barely above denver like they were not an efficient red zone offense i have to imagine that number's going up this year and if they can even just get into like top 12 territory mm-hmm that's going to make a big difference, and they're going to be one of the hardest teams to beat in the entire league. So 
it's it's a game of inches. <laughs> There's if, a very if, narrow narrow margin between great team and missing the playoffs, but I, I think they made the necessary moves to to get there. If they put up points early, and we talked about this earlier with that defense, if this team puts up points early, it's going to be a boat race because their defense is going to eat you if you have to come from behind. I mean, it is built to rush the hell out of the passer. And if you have to pass to catch up, if you don't have Jonathan Taylor on your side, it's not – if they get out to early leads and they could with Ryan – you know, you're down 10, 13 points going into the second half. Look out. Like, you're <laughs> going to lose. You're going to take damage. <laughs> and they're not, hopefully, going to take their foot off the gas. Or they're just going to run Jonathan Taylor at you all second half. And you don't want that either. So, yeah. if you get behind to this Colts team, it's not going to be a fun experience. It's very mid-2000s Colts. Peyton getting out to an early league. Freeney and Mathis yep. killing quarterbacks. Edge running all over people. It's it's very 2006, I, I must say. They basically just rebuilt that whole vibe. Yep. But, uh, yeah, that'll do it for the Colts. Uh, we only got one more AFC South team to go, Tennessee, who's probably the other team that I think most people expect to be making the playoffs out of this division. Whether or not they will win the division is up for debate. Mm. There's a lot of additions and subtractions we need to go over to kind of make that determination they're one of the harder teams not just in the afc south but in the afc as a whole to kind of read but we'll get into all that next episode thank you all for watching we'll be back uh same time tomorrow with that titans episode and until then later take care One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.